how do you implement the sales bit? How do you get your first deal? How do you get going? We've got a fun episode for you today. Andrew, the editor of the podcast, is coming out of the background and he is on the show because he started a side hustle trading. And we have Stephen back from the last episode to coach him in how to get you going. How do you buy stuff? How do you sell it? How do you find the opportunities? And how do you ship it? This is a really fun episode. As you listen along, think about how you can start trading more within your business and how you can apply these principles to get you even further. Right at the end of the episode, Stephen unfortunately dropped off due to an electrical storm in his area, so you will miss him for the summary. But this episode is designed to get you going and taking action. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. I'm very excited about this episode. It is one of our coaching episodes, and we have two people on the call right now. We have Andrew, who you've never heard on the podcast before, but he's silently in the background of every episode, because Andrew is the editor of The Rebel Entrepreneur, who has started a side hustle business, which I love that. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you. Yes, just love just sitting in the corner, listening to all the goings-ons. It's been a good time. You are somewhat of a stalker of the show, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a little polite way of putting it, right? <laughs> well, thank you for making me sound good on the episodes and removing all my ums, ahs, and bad sentences. I really appreciate it. You know, anything for you, Alan. I do my best. And we also have Stephen, who came on the last episode. He's built an incredible business, flipping and buying products. And actually, well, welcome to the show, Stephen. Welcome back to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Thanks for having me again. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. So, Andrew, tell us what you've been up to. Where are you? How did this start? So a couple months ago, I want to say three, three months ago, I got it in my head. I had just like kind of been scrolling on Facebook, Marketplace, Craigslist, and different sites that you, you can buy and sell stuff on. And I sort of got it in my head when I saw people just listing all this free stuff. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. It seems like you get something for it, right? So I thought, okay, I don't want to go get this item and then be like sitting with it. So what if I took a snap, a screenshot of uh, an item that was for free on one thing, and then I listed it for sale on another site like Facebook and see if I could get any money for it. And so I saw a chair that somebody was just throwing out and then I listed it on, or I saw it on Craigslist for free. And then I listed it on Facebook marketplace for like 80 bucks just to see what would happen. I didn't even have the chair yet. I just, you know, I just wanted to see what would happen. And, uh, I got a bite and they're like, yeah, I'm interested in this chair. And that was like the first kind of like, oh, maybe there's something here. Maybe I could make some money off of this. I ended up actually taking a lot longer to sell that one item, but the idea was kind of set in place, I guess, for me. So you had the idea. You Did you actually sell that chair? What happened with that chair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my idea was that initially I would just pick it up and then just go drop it off at the place. 
and I did, but when I dropped it off, the person didn't and didn't want it. So there was like a little bit of error of calculation in my part there. But a couple of weeks later, I was able to sell it. Yeah, so it all worked out eventually, but it just took a little bit longer. I did have to hold into inspired- it in my apartment. So you know, did you sit on it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a, it was a great <laughs> chair, like solid. Like I mean, <laughs> I did have to fix the lever on it, so um, there was that. But that so you did like add some value. You- yeah, I added some value. Put in five ten dollars into it, and then sold it for forty. It worked out, I guess. And that inspired the second deal. Did you do a second deal? Yeah, so that inspired a, a slew of deals, I suppose. I I then found a couple more things for free. I found. Somebody was throwing away a dresser and that one, I don't think I got as much out of because I I put a lot of work into it, refurbishing it. I mean, I still made profit, but I don't think it ended up being worth what I sold it for. So I think I bought, I got it for free and then I put in new pieces of hardware and I, I bought like a sander for it to like kind of sand it down. And then I already had some stains. So that was that. So I think I put it, put in about $80 to it and I sold it for 150. So it wasn't as good if you count in my time. Yes, but you did get a sander, which you can use on deals yeah, coming exactly. up. exactly. And so that was another thing. Like when there's a project, I like to build on my collection of tools. So if there's like a tool that I can get, it almost feels like, you know, I'm getting it for free once I sell the item. And then I got a, um, a wood chipper for free. So I was just giving away and I just gave the cards a little tune up, a little cleaner. And uh, I mean, that thing was running fine. I, I put on the listing as like disclaimer the, you'll need to sharpen the blade, but I made 200 bucks off of that for like almost no cost. I got overhead. Is that what you would call that? I don't know. Uh, I guess no expenses. It's not very yeah. often that you get given a product to sell. Right. Uh, right. It's not very often, but happens occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen, yeah. any thoughts so far? Yeah. I mean, what, what I'm hearing is um, what you were finding is, and the key to it is motivated sellers. And they're not even sellers. They're just reason people are willing to give it to you is they want it out of their house or out of their garage. And they're willing to give it to you for free, even though it has value because people have different motivations. Like sometimes their wife is in their ear and saying, get this clean out the garage. I don't want it in here or vice versa. Or it could be like, you know, Hey, I just want this gone. I've got to move in, you know, I'm buying a new car and I don't have room in the garage to fit it. Like this chipper, I haven't used it in two years. Like it's got to go today. And so like, yeah, I could get 50 bucks or 200 bucks, but like they have a something that's more important that they want to put in that space or time or whatever. They don't want people coming to their house, perhaps like during COVID, they don't want a bunch of people like coming and wasting their time. Like, you know, so there, there's different motivations why people would do it and they do it all the time. I mean, every day there's listings like crazy. You know, that's my, one of the girls that works for me here. Uh, she just found like probably three weeks ago, found one of the, the heaters that go out on like patios of restaurants, you know, the, the ones that stand up like a little tower. Oh yeah, and, and somebody just left it at the curb. So she she threw it in the back of her uh, her vehicle, and she just sold it for seventy five bucks yesterday. <laughs> Didn't do anything to it, you know. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, okay, there's seventy five dollars. Like we always joke and say, hey, when was the last time you stepped over a seventy five dollar bill or a fifty dollar bill? You know, I was like, would you do it? Like, no, you you've been down to pick it up, throw it in the truck. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's I like your the idea that you just cross posted it because it is like that is a, something that like when someone's used to you know, putting something on their site of choice, whether it's Craigslist or Facebook, whatever, like it actually takes quite a bit of like focus and time to put it on the different sites. Like, you know, and so a lot of times people are just going to put it on Facebook or just going to put it on Craigslist and not think 
you know, to put it on let go or offer any of the other ones. And so I like your idea of cross posting it. The only dangerous part is like, Hey, sometimes that free stuff goes really fast. And if you don't have it in hand, then you can waste your time of like, once someone bites, but I think, I think that was more of like testing the waters, which is great, right? Like right. So you, you didn't invest any time or money in the, on the front end. Yeah. I figured it would only be my own time that I was wasting. I mean, I guess maybe I guess a little bit of like the per the buyer, because I might've had been like, Oh, sorry. It got snatched sold. up already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was like the worst possible outcome in my mind was that like, yeah. Yeah. But they, I mean, they wasted an email, so it's not a big yeah, deal, but exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, classic like arbitrage i know people do that like there's a whole industry out there that takes stuff that like goes on sale at walmart and target and like cross posts it on ebay or amazon or something like that and buys it and sell like i don't know what that is but it's called like amazon arbitrage and there's there's like tons of software and online resources for that sort of thing i don't really i, I know people make money doing it it's a and it's an industry but it doesn't really appeal to me like just didn't get my juices flowing really, but it's a way to make money without having to take the inventory or, you know, actually even ship anything. Like you basically you take their pictures off of it and cross post it. Yeah. And someone buys I it. think, I think that was kind of like the, um, the draw to me was that like, since I do have a, a full-time job, I wanted to not have to put too much work into something, but yeah, sometimes it's like the flip is more interesting and I'll put like, 10 hours or something total into it if it's like if it's really interesting but most of the time i just want to like you know hour minimum that's kind of like yeah or like the hour maximum i guess that's how much like i want to put into it and then just be able to get rid of it while still make, trying to i think doubling is where i it was where i like shoot for trying to double my my profit yeah that if was i get it for free of, hey yeah that's, that's that, then your, uh, your return is infinite right so yeah, that, exactly. that was one of the things i was gonna mention is like you know to set you set your acceptable you know allowable you know, return. Like, so yeah, I want to double my money and only spend one hour on, on each of these items. Like if I have to spend more than an hour and I'm only doubling my money, like, eh, but like if I'm tripling it or, you know, maybe tie it to your time. So like for every hour you have to double two hours, you have to triple three hours, you have to quadruple, you know, that, yeah, maybe yeah, that, that's very true. Build something in like that, you know? Yeah. I think right now I'm, uh, I've been doing this for probably three months or so. And I've, I've made about $800, $900. So it's not like a huge return, but I guess, is there in your mind a, a business strategy here or something that I could pursue with this? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're, you're doing it right. I mean, making $800 on it isn't like, didn't change your life, uh, you know, like set you on a path to easy street really, you know, but like, it's still a significant amount of money with something you're doing in your spare time. And it didn't take you know, tons and tons of your time at all. And it sounds like you like doing it. And so, yeah. so like, to yeah, me, I do it's, like it, doing it. it's a win-win, you know? Yeah. I would say like probably the drawback is just like, I live in an apartment with a roommate and uh, probably just having the stuff isn't great for him. Yeah. <laughs> <Just kinda> like <laughs> sitting out, <laughs> hanging around in, in like our living room, you know, I got like a dressers and uh, all this kind of uh, power tool equipment stuff. So what I'd say to that is like, a okay. What happens if how long you've been doing it? Like a month or two months? Uh, yeah, three months right now. Three months. Okay. So if you would have, you know, gotten a small storage unit somewhere local to you that cost you seventy five bucks a month, you'd still be ahead, and you wouldn't have to live with any of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, 
at some point where you get you start gathering enough stuff, you could either find someone nearby that has a garage or some space or a basement or something, or have a small storage unit somewhere that you keep your stock, or you know, you start specializing in stuff that's small. Hey, like I'm gonna do stuff that's just small scale, and that's what you focus on. Yeah, it did look like there's a could be a market there for watches or something. Yeah, and you could just smurf all the watch, you know, uh, watch eBay and just kind of. I would say, you know, in your case, like, well, you already have a, a full time job, or you're, you're not really looking to make this maybe full time. It's just something you like doing. Right. Uh, you know, think about like specializing in, like you said, like maybe watches. Like, okay, like I'm gonna buy all you know old school calculator watches, like Casio calculator watches you know, from like the eighties cause people they're coming back in style and I'm just going to start like smurfing. I like them. I like looking for them. And like, I'm right. going to have this huge selection of them. They're cheap money to buy, but like I can turn and, and burn each one of them for, you know, make 15 bucks on it. It doesn't take up a lot of space and it's not a big deal, you know, and then start kind of spreading out from there. But, you know, just like I'd say if space is a, a constraint uh, starting off and that would be a good way to do is maybe just look at small things that, that you yeah. can turn and that you're interested in, like find something you really are interested in because then you're going to enjoy like looking for it. Right. Like <laughs> the treasure hunts on, right? Like, Hey, yeah, exactly. Um, hey, now, the, I, I guess uh, this idea of space, it leads me to my, uh, another question that I've been thinking about. And that is like, when I have larger items, I don't necessarily always want to be forced to wait until someone local is able to buy it. Yeah. And so like, the two things that come that recently came to mind. I did eventually eventually find local buyers, but the the two items that I had that were kind of tricky were the dresser and the wood chipper, which yep. was like a pretty bulky item. And I was I kind of wanted to sell it on eBay, but I didn't seem like there would be a restriction on shipping. So, I, do you have any recommendations for how I would go about that for selling those larger items? Yeah, the first thing or there's two things that come to mind really. One is that you can sell it on eBay and just and say, you know, you, you're going to freight ship it or whatever. There's, um, well, there's, there's three real things. So the price is going to kind of be a factor in that, of, you know, how much it's worth and, and that sort of thing. So one, like you can sell it and you can have someone or a company kind of like you ship, which you ship in America here is a website that connects like sellers of stuff with independent transportation guys. So like, People that, you know, maybe a guy that has a truck and a trailer or a cargo van. And so they drive, they're always out driving around all over the country. And this is like one big load board that you set up your thing on. You set the price or you can do like a reverse bid thing to where the providers compete to give you the cheapest price on shipping something or transporting something. So uh, they ship animals. They ship, you know, that people do moves like, you know, apartment moves on this thing. They ship a jacuzzi on there. They'll ship equipment, you know, whatever, like you can ship just about anything. And, you know, a guy in a pickup truck or a cargo van shows up, you load it in there, he takes it, uh, gets to the, the people on the other side, and then, you know, you pay them when it, when it delivers. So they've got a pretty good system there. So that's something. And the price is pretty variable. It's hard to pinpoint what the price is because it is like a bidding situation, but it's a way of like getting it somewhere without having to do a whole lot of like packing and, you know, wrapping and, all that, you know, um, yeah. they would come to your house or apartment and grab it and go. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. The other thing is like, you could do a, a freight quote and send it on a pallet to somebody. It's typically better to ship. It's cheaper and usually less friction to send to a commercial 
business. So that would require you like finding a pallet and having it ready for a truck, like a semi truck to basically come and pick up or, you know, putting it on the pallet, wrapping and packing it, strapping it down and then delivering it to a trucking terminal that's nearby, you know, where you live. Uh, yeah. but that, would, that would require a truck or, you know, whatever, or you pay somebody, you know, to do it for you. So when you do those uh, freight shipping, can you just take it to the freight company and they'll weigh it and tell you the price? Or do you have to figure out all the like dimensions and wait in advance? So a lot of my stuff I already kind of know. And here I have a warehouse and, you know, we have forklift and scales and all that stuff. So we, we do all that beforehand. But typically you can get a quote just by ballparking it, right? So you can say, all right, I think this thing's about 150 pounds, you know, with the pallet and everything. Yeah, you know, and these are roughly dimensions. It's going to be forty-eight by forty by forty-eight, and I need it to go from this zip code to that zip code. You have a pretty good idea of what it costs. You know, example, I'm shipping something from Tampa today. I paid a guy hundred bucks to go pick it up and take it to the trucking terminal for me because the guy that was selling it didn't have a truck or whatever. So I found a guy on Craigslist. He picked it up. He took it over to the trucking terminal. I'd already, you know, sent them the paperwork for the trucking company. It was one hundred twenty-five dollars you know, for the shipping part of it. So it's 125 to go from Tampa to Atlanta here because it's going from the trucking company's dock to my dock and forklift. So uh, that's pretty much the cheapest you can go. Uh, if you start adding like lift gates onto the trucks, it starts getting a little bit, you know, they add 75 bucks or whatever. But the other thing you can do, like depending on your area, like there's a lot of third party logistics companies that, you know, you would maybe solve like an inventory issue for you too. Like a lot of them will charge you by the space or the item and they will actually, you know, it's probably ahead of, ahead of where you're at right now, but just to think about it, like you can store your inventory with them and they charge you either by the pallet or by the box or whatever. And they'll actually take the item out of the box, package it and ship it to your customer for you. Hmm. And so you just basically send them the order when you get it. And then they do all the work. They charge you a fee for all those touch points, but that's something you could run from your apartment and never have to hold a, a bit of the inventory. It's better for like new items or stuff that you you're sourcing and you have like, all right, I've got 300 of these items that I bought or, you know, I'm importing and then, then putting them on Amazon and I'm, and I'm selling them one at a time. Like if you don't want to do that one at a time handling, like there's companies out there that'll do it. You just have to make yeah. sure that the money's right. You know, that you're making enough on it to be able to pay them and have them take. And their that's own. the key bit. That is absolutely the key bit, Stephen, is yeah. the amount of money you're making on these things. Because if you're talking about logistics costs of 100 bucks or picking it up for this or selling it for that, but you're only making 50 bucks on the item, it's just not worth it. So right. we've got to pay big attention to the amount of money there that is for transport. My dad used to buy and sell T-shirts and different sports equipment and a couple of times that really hurt him because he would think, oh, I'm buying this for 50 cents per T-shirt and I'm selling it for a dollar T-shirt. But he didn't realize that shipping costs 75 cents a T-shirt. And that's when you can start losing money on these things very quickly. Oh, yeah. You definitely have to build that in. And that's where, you know, I think the 2X, 3X, my kind of my role is like 3X would buy something because I, I say, OK, if I, if I buy it for 100 by the time I pay any kind of marketing fees, whether you put it on eBay or something else, and you pay the shipping, it starts adding up pretty quick. Depending on the size of it, you know, the bigger the size, the more it costs to ship. So now you've got fifty or sixty bucks in marketing and, and shipping and all that packaging cost, and then so now you're clearing one hundred 
150, 140, 130, whatever. So, you know, that's where, you know, you're definitely going to sell it quicker with the bigger market, you know, buy local, sell global. It's kind of what is a good, you know, mantra that we kind of think about. Uh, you buy it locally and turn around, put it on the worldwide market on eBay or whatever and on Amazon and, and uh, you have a better chance of selling it quicker. But the shipping is the big deal. And I, I would suggest like digging into the, the postal service and like how to ship smaller stuff. For a lot of years, I spent a lot, a lot more money than I probably should have, you know. So the smaller the stuff you you're selling, you need to get more familiar with the post office because they're they're typically the low low cost shipper. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would suggest like, well, let's say that you want to focus in on something if you want to. If you, there's something you're already interested in, focus down on that. Because what I found is like I do a little bit of scattered buying too, like you're talking about, and it's it's okay. And sometimes it's just my eye will catch something and do a good deal on it but you know i hear people say a lot like the real estate industry and there's a you know there's a lot of similarities to what what you're doing and that but they'll say oh i, I gotta find a deal you know or this is a deal you know deals aren't really found opportunities are found right so you, you found an opportunity of a motivated seller or somebody's in a in a bind they got to get rid of stuff quick or there's a divorce or there's some sort of change that's happening and, and you're there at the right time that's an opportunity and once you find an opportunity, then you can make a deal, but you just you don't find a deal. Sometimes you have to know the value of what you're looking at in order to recognize that it's an opportunity because you may say, like, oh, that thing's really cheap, but it's a piece of garbage or it's like it's a model number that sucked and like, you know, it's the wrong one and you're thinking you're getting a deal, but you don't know that that's like the one nobody wants anymore. <laughs> you know, like you really have to like know the values of the stuff you're looking at. And that's where like specialization kind of comes into into focus. And then once you like know the values, you can see immediately an opportunity and snap that thing up and make a deal on it. I do a lot of different medical equipment and, and I just know all the values of everything because I've sold them over and over again. You know, I know which models sell, which ones don't, all that sort of stuff. So like I can go around and just pick the bargains, which, you know, a novice wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do that. Like they wouldn't know what to buy. You know, I've seen people like buy a bunch of stuff from auctions thinking they're getting stuff and then end up with a storage unit full of junk. So it, but it takes time, right? Sometimes it takes like buying a look, like a, you know, a load of unknown stuff that you don't know, but you just get it really cheap. And then you discover like what's, what's a hot seller. Right. And then once you kind of get in, you start learning, selling it, like then you, you start seeing like, Oh, like these are the things that sell hot. Like I'm going to keep looking for those. Do you have any good strategies for like you get a load of like unknown stuff that you don't have any price points on? Do you then just go on eBay and start looking and see what other people price them at? Yeah, I mean that's what you kind of have to do, like see what they've sold for. You know, example, like we bought, I found a guy that was like he was a dealer of certain kind of like power equipment, like uh, lawn type equipment up in I think it was Massachusetts or something, and he was a dealer at some point and closed the store down. He had all these old parts like Briggs and Stratton parts, all these kind of parts like left over and they were in his basement. He's like, man, I got to get this stuff out of my basement. Like, you know, it's just been there too long. And I'm like, moving on, man, I'm moving on. So he's like, I'll sell you all this stuff for thousand dollars or whatever. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, I kind of blindly went into, it. I never bought that stuff before. Didn't know. Ended up being like two pallets worth of stuff. You know, we shipped it down had a couple hundred bucks in shipping and we just had to dig through it. And it was very time consuming, but they're really small items and we dug through it and like, you know, there's a lot of parts that were 20 and 30 bucks a piece in there, you know, and then there was some that were too cheap and, you know, we kind of throw those to the side, but overall, like it built out 
and it was probably worth probably five thousand dollars in parts that we're still selling today. Like as we've added more deals like that, we've got a pretty good inventory of those kind of parts that they're just small items they sell here and there, pretty pretty regularly. But but now that we know like which ones sell and which one don't, like that we can keep an eye out for those and step aside of the ones that we know are gonna you know like seals and gaskets like they don't sell they're not worth selling you know they're too cheap so yeah it's like stuff like that sometimes you just have to take a chance and roll you know roll some money into something and then you'll learn it real quick once you put your money on it <laughs> <laughs> i've always found that like whether it's the stock market or anything like you know, it's like oh you put a little money behind something like it's funny how your brain focuses on it and uh you learn it real quick yeah, and that's the taking action piece. That's definitely the taking action piece because you can research for a long, long time. But when you actually get in and do a deal and buy something and then try and sell it, that's where the learning happens and the real action. And anyone is a good spectator on the sidelines. Anyone can spot a good deal. But when you're actually trying to do it. So I guess, Stephen, question for yep. you, and I've got an answer to this as well, I think. How do you spot a good opportunity? Well, there's a little bit of repetition and, and kind of gut in it. You know, a lot of it's like after doing it for a long time, you just have an eye for something like, Hey, if I like this thing, I know somebody else is going to like it because I'm not an anomaly. I'm not a man on an Island here. You know, like if I think that's cool or if I could use that and it would work for me, like it's got to work for other people. And so that's kind of, you know, part of it, you know, a lot of it's recognizing opportunity, you know, it's tough. It's, 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 that's part of where the, the art is, you know, and it's different for everybody. So that's really the, one of the hard parts of it. You know, so, a lot uh, of times trying to be in the right place at the right time is, uh, is sometimes the biggest factor being there where the change is. Being where the change is and having your eyes open to the opportunities. I remember when I first started working with my dad, when he was in the sportswear many, many years ago, he was flying to Germany to buy Adidas. And he wanted to go and buy clothing, T-shirts, different things. So we went to the cellar. We were looking around the place. And I spotted on the wall a new type of soccer boot, a football boot. It was called the Adidas Predator. It was brand new out at that point in England. But for whatever reason, in Germany, where we'd gone, they weren't selling and they had a load to clear. And I picked it up and asked how much it was. And the guy had 2,000 pairs and he wanted £12.50 for them. And I just knew I'd seen them in England in the stores for 70. Yeah. I knew there was money. I just yeah. knew it. No brainer. And I yeah. felt it. And I said to my dad, we've got to buy these. He was nervous. So he ended up taking a risk and he bought a thousand pairs of them. And we made a couple of calls on the way home from Germany. And we got someone to buy the whole thousand pairs for £25. So we doubled our money without it was the first call pretty much uh, so we rung the guy in germany and said actually we'll take all 2000 yeah <laughs> and he shipped them all over and it was one of the best deals if you were smart uh, one he would of have the raised best the price. deals <laughs> yeah well he did for the it. second thousand oh, okay yeah yeah <laughs> um oh, but man. it's just spotting those things so you get an inherent feeling that i know this is worth more i've seen it in the stores i know people are wearing it that's, I know it's in demand. It's, that's no, it's that's the knowing feeling. your values. That's knowing your value. Yeah. Like that's part of it. Like knowing your value first in order to recognize the opportunity. So you, that's exactly what you did. So that's, that, that was the key. And then you did a deal, right? Like, so 
Well, the, I think the key bit was my dad had contacts in the industry who were buyers and yeah. he knew who to ring to sell it. Yeah. And yeah, he made the call true. and he sold it. That, but even that if, was even critical. A, even if he would have been a blind squirrel, though, he could have he could have probably <laughs> gotten it, gotten it <laughs> and found somebody, you know, put it out there. Somebody would have found it, you know, without being professional at it. He could have also he, he would have called around soon enough and gotten. But he may not got the initial opportunity to go over there and, and talk to this fellow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the network is a big a big factor of it. And I'll, I'll say, too, like, I don't necessarily like buying off of the platforms. I like selling on them. But like the way I look at it is like if someone already is putting it on the platform, they already want to sell it. Like I try to find people that don't know they want to sell something. You know, I find it in someone's, you know, drive by, they got a bunch of garbage in their, looks like in their garage. Like, Hey, you want to sell anything? And then they're like, Oh yeah, well, well, this, this, and this. And then you're finding it at the source before there's other competition out there. Cause it helps you in negotiating. If you're negotiating, it's yourself. You're the only one there. You're going to get a way better deal than like, if he's got 10 people emailing him on Craigslist or whatever, you know, trying to buy it, like you get no bargain there. And they, they figure out pretty quick if they're getting 10 emails, people wanting to buy it, like they got a price too low. So I try to go for things that like aren't already for sale and try to convince people to sell them or they're it's minuscule. You're, you're at a garage sale or you're, you know, at a warehouse sale or, you know, whatever that isn't online. Like no one else sees it. And then you buy it, turn around, sell it. Put it up, put it out there in a more public way, and find it. So that's a tough thing to do, Stephen. To drive up to someone's house and go, "I see you've got a lot of stuff in your garage. Do you want to sell anything?" <laughs> like that's a t- do you have you actually done that? Oh my god, my whole life I've done it. Like my, my dad would embarrass <laughs> my dad would embarrass us so horribly. Like as a kid, you know, but it was training, right? Like he'd drive by, he'd see somebody have like an old car in their backyard or in their barn, and he would say, like, he'd drive right, knock right on their front door, and before you know it, like. Oh yeah, I got that. I got three more in the back, you know, back in the woods there. And, you know, and then like, boom, you're on a honey hole. And, <laughs> and then like they're friends till this, to this day, you know, it's like, it's just, it's bizarre. But yeah, people like, you know, sometimes you'll get shooed away, but for the most part, like people don't always knock on your door looking to give you money. Most people don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> like most, most people aren't going to like shoo you away. Like, oh no, we don't like money here. We don't want any of yours. Like they're going to say, sure, come on in. How much money do you have? You know, <laughs> what else can we sell you? Yeah. you want this lamp here. Take this lamp because <laughs> people start looking around real quick. Want, like looking, oh, what, what haven't I touched in a while? You know, oh, what, my what, mom what can loves I get rid of? To get rid of stuff, she, she's all about that. Yeah, so like, so finding the opportunities like that—that's yeah, that's the hard part. Because once you find it, you can always sell it. You know, risk is overpaying for an asset, right? So like, if you buy something dirt cheap, like the risk is extremely low. So. You, you buy stuff dirt cheap and that's where you learn, you know, you just, you get crazy bargains on stuff. And my dad would always, uh, he got, he got into farm equipment for a while. And he really learned all, all about these uh, antique tractors and all this stuff. And he'd go and he'd drive around like the rural areas of the, the state and they would buy, you know, a tractor with like all the implements that go with it. The, I don't know what, what they are, hares and the plows and the hay, cutters. I don't know what all that stuff is, but he would buy everything for like 1500 bucks for the whole shoot match. And then he'd sell all the implements off to be able, cause he didn't really want, he just wanted the tractor. He'd sell all the implements off and make 500 or a thousand dollars on, on the whole deal. And he got to keep the tractor. So he ended hmm. up with like 20 or 30 tractors because like how many tractors can you have when you're getting them basically for free? 
what can you do with the tractors? You can only you can only ride one at once at that point. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he would like he'd fix one up every <laughs> once in a while, and then he'd sell, you know, he'd sell it for this and that. Like, so I don't know how he still has them stashed somewhere. I don't even know where they're at, but um, but that just that concept of like looking for inventory is like, for instance, I found uh, I found these items close by to my office. It was a um, like a dump hopper that goes on a forklift, and you can dump scrap metal or trash or whatever out of it easily uh, with a forklift. So the guy uh, had it close by. He had two of them. They were priced really nice. We Instead of buying just one, I really only needed one. I didn't even need one, really. But I bought it and went ahead and bought the other one. Because why not? Like, they're cheap. I know they're underpriced. I'm going to turn around and resell it. Then ended up turning around, did some trade and stuff for it. But basically traded the $300 dumper for a $1,500 trailer. And so, yeah, if you can, if you can buy more than one, do it. You know, and sell it and get yours for free. Then you can have lots of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think the minimalists would have something against getting lots of stuff. But when it's useful, definitely. So, Andrew, where are you going with this? So right now, it's still just a side hustle. I love just fixing stuff up. I'm not as good at the selling part. So maybe maybe that's the uh, takeaway here. I enjoy the aspect of finding things that are kind of in disrepair and uh, restoring them to their original purpose. And I get a lot of fulfillment out of that. So I think... I could see myself at some point with a with some sort of repair shop or just kind of like a little setup where people could bring in their junk or whatever they got and restoring it would be uh would be pretty satisfying to me. I don't know if it'll ever be a, a full time thing though. So you like the repair aspect of it more, yeah. or do you like the turning something into cash that like is? Wasn't, I would say you know, they're both uh, pretty rewarding, but at its heart, well. I like repairing stuff more, but I, I just don't really have the time for it right now. So yeah, that's the, that's the time. That's the time consuming part of the whole, yeah, the whole thing. Exactly. I, I like figuring out what's wrong with it and what it needs to be fixed again. But I, I just, uh, in my small, small little place without a real true workshop, it's kind of hard to, to focus yeah. on that. So I, I've been enjoying learning more about like the selling aspect of it and, you know, seeing what about an item makes somebody want it or desire it. And, you know, just how to appeal to a larger audience. I mean, that's something you could really, you could get around the time consuming part of the repair is like, for example, let's say you got into watches, right? And specific ones and like, you know, which ones that you could learn, which ones started you know selling and was really marketable and desirable. You could hunt those out. A lot of other people are probably going to be hunting them out. So you, you set up your, you know, your ways of finding them and then you would find somebody that repairs them or that is a part-time watch repair guy or whatever. And you know, you'd buy it, send it directly to them, have them check it out and then ship it to you. And then you would have a good working item that you could turn around and sell. Wouldn't take up a lot of room, you know, that sort of thing. So you would outsource that the heavier repair maybe to someone else, or you'd get it in, check it out. If it was beyond your, your scope of fixing it mm. or was a, a more timely repair, you kick it to somebody else, yeah. make sure that they could repair it and turn around and resell it. You know, How so do that, you go about finding those type? connections you just like look for people in your area or do you yeah i mean you could talk to people in the area like sometimes just a word of mouth thing you know but sometimes just be going to a shop you know go to a shop that's nearby you and and talk to the guy that runs it or or gal that runs it but you know like there's people that specialize in doing lots of different repairs electronics repair guys like i've got a friend of mine that this guy can repair anything electronic and so you have to find that person you know, or those people that you can kind of go to for these different things to to add value and make your life easier on the back end. 
or, you know, or you sell stuff as is and, you know, you just turn and burn it a lot quicker and you're going to get lower, lower prices, but you know, it's kind of whatever you're into, but I would try to, you know, it's, it's a tough thing, but look for something that's kind of high value, but smaller in scale. And all you do is hunt those things out. You know, maybe you only sell 10 a year, but maybe they're 500 bucks a piece. You know, maybe it's a, a special carburetor on an engine that like they don't make anymore and they're on a certain snowmobile or whatever, you know, or a jet ski or something. And like you hunt out those people are putting them on Craigslist for junk or whatever. And you find them, you turn around, buy them and sell them, you know, like whatever it is that you, you just have to kind of dig into it and want to want to spend your time hunting them. Yeah. Do you do a lot of stuff like that? My problem is like, I have to find something valuable enough to really make it worth my while to do it. You know, it's like, I've got to be selling, buying and selling things that are in the thousands because I've got a team of people that got to keep employed and like a, a shop and expenses and all that stuff. So it's a little different for me when you're just starting out, like anybody can do it, right? Like you, you could go, I tell people like you could make a lot of extra money going to your five closest neighbors that live next to you and say, Hey, I'm in the selling business. Like, do you have anything in your house that you want to get rid of? We'll split it 50, 50, you know, after expenses, and I'll do all the work and, you know, take all the emails and do the shipping and all that stuff. Believe me, there's a fortune in mm. your five of your neighbors because everyone's got stuff. Oh, I've got old this. I don't use anymore an old watch. I've got an old pair of boots or whatever, you know, like everyone's got garbage in their, in their house and they want to get out of their life and they just don't want to take the time or whatever. You go to them, knock on the door, form a relationship with them and you do the, the picturing, you know, when it sells, you just go knock on the door. Hey, I sold it for this. Like I need to get it and pack it up. Boom. You sell it. I mean, that's, that's like an easy way to start a business. Anybody can do it, you know? I love that. I feel like there's so much opportunity waiting all around us. And I think the key thing I've taken away from this episode is spotting opportunities. And Andrew's been spotting opportunities, adding value, selling it, and making some dollars. Stephen, you seem to be the king of spotting opportunities everywhere you walk. And that seems to be the key is finding an opportunity where you can add value, sell it for more than you got it, maybe two or three times and start selling. Yeah. And I'm still an amateur. I've only been doing it for 15 years. I'm still an amateur, but I think, <laughs> I think Andrew's like, he's got the, uh, the formula, right? Like he's rinse and repeat, keep doing the same thing. Like buy it, turn around, sell it, fix it, sell it. You know, sometimes you're going like to have to be work. less than a novice then like, no, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You never stop learning, though. I mean, I'm still getting stuff in sometimes that, like, I have no idea what it is. But it's it's like Christmas. Every time you get a, a load of stuff and you're like, ooh, what's in this one? You start tearing through it, checking prices. All right, what is this? And, you know, you get little surprises. So, like, you never stop learning. Because there's, so there's so much stuff out there. The world is unlimited in the amount of products and items out there. Like, do you know the pricing and the availability of Caterpillar heavy equipment parts like no like but if you're in that business like you know that you know how much a water pump on a you know an excavator costs like i have no idea but like you can never know everything right so mm. you're always learning in this in this kind of game so one of the deals my dad did which i was always impressed by you know in retail shops when someone buys something and there's something wrong with it and they take it back do you ever wonder where those went andrew Occasionally, um, I did. <laughs> I, I, I well, there is a store I know that like open box liquidators uh, near me, where like the store will collect old junk stuff, and it just because it's like been opened already. So I guess that's one option. My dad found a retailer 
that didn't know what to do with this stuff. And he basically did a deal with them to buy it by the box. So this retailer was a big sportswear store. The stuff that was returned by customers just got stuck in boxes. The boxes would be filled up and my dad would buy it for £7 a box. So 10 bucks a box. And we would get this box of stuff back and you would never know what's in it. You wouldn't have a clue. Sometimes you get boxes that had smelly trainers in there. And you're like, what am I going to do with that? And you just throw them in the bin. One of the boxes was filled with tents. And there was at least 15 tents, all with small defects. But one had a tent pole missing. So we brought a a spare tent pole. And uh, you've got a 200-pound tent. And there was 15 of these things in that one box that we paid £7 for. And it was unbelievable. Every box had different stuff. Some had rackets that were broken. You couldn't do anything with those. One box we found samples in. So it was all brand new Nike sportswear. And we totaled up the retail price and it was like seven or eight hundred pounds. So about a thousand bucks worth of sportswear in this one box. It was like Christmas every time we got a delivery. You never <laughs> knew what was going to be in there. And I think it's unbelievable what you can find out there. The key is looking for opportunities, knowing that there's someone out there that will find in value in it and being able to sell it on when you get it. And I think what you've done is made an incredible start to trading, doing deals and getting going. The question is, where could you go with this? Where could you go? And the answer is the sky's the limit if you want to. Stephen's proved you can build an incredible business by buying and selling items. If you haven't listened to his episode yet, go back one episode, listen to Stephen's first episode. And his first deal is phenomenal. He got the money before he sold it, which I love. You know we're a big fan of that on this show, Andrew. So what are you inspired to do next? What have you taken away from this? What are you going to go and do? Yeah, uh, well, I think... The next thing I want to do is probably get more comfortable with the idea of just kind of walking up to people's places and seeing what I can get for free, like around local without having to, you know, use gas money or like lots of effort in trying to get a hold of the item where if if I could just like do it more local, even more than I have been, you know, that would be really cool. So I liked that idea a lot. I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from this episode because... I don't know if I'd have the guts to do it, Andrew, to do what Stephen does and just walk up to the house. But he made an incredible point. Why would they turn you? <laughs> They're not going to be angry with you. I'm here to give you money. Uh, yeah, exactly. That, that's kind of what I was saying. I was like, yeah, I guess I had never framed the idea like that before. Everybody likes an opportunity. Everyone yeah. likes an opportunity. So to the people who are listening to the show today, thank you for tuning in. What Andrew, I, and Stephen would love you to take away from this is that there is opportunity everywhere. What you need to do is spot the opportunity, see who you can sell it to, have a go at this stuff, buy it for cheap or get it for free, and see if you can build a business on the side. The key is taking action, asking brave questions, and making sales. And that is what will help you to make progress. Thanks for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Andrew, thank you for coming on the show. Stephen, thank you for coming on the show. Let us know how you get on. Good luck. Go sell. Have fun. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. 
Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.